Good morning, Lindsay Lane East. If, hey, if you've got a Bible, go on and open up to Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, that's where we're going to be here in just a minute. But last week, uh, we're kind of in the series, we're calling First Things First, talking about the, the big DNA pieces uh, that are Lindsay Lane East. And so last week we talked about our mission. What is our mission as a church? What are we trying to accomplish? What are we hoping to see God do? And we defined that for you guys last week. It's across all three campuses, but we're defining this as together for the glory of God and the good of man. And that's what we're about. That's what we're trying. That's what we're asking God to do. And again, that's a big idea. Uh, it's a big idea that honestly for us, it's going to help bring some clarity to what we do here. Um, it's now and in the future, it's going to govern our decision making as a staff and it's going to bring focus to our ministries. But what we didn't do last week as much is to answer the question, what does it mean for members of Lindsay Lane East uh, to take part in that? And so how can, how can those who call Lindsay Lane East home participate with us to accomplish this mission? So I'm going to take some time today. Uh, to explain what that what we call our strategy uh, for for accomplishing our mission, and um, we're going to look at a passage that's going to provide some context to what we do here, and, and I'm going to define three connection points uh, somewhere in the midst of the sermon, about two thirds of the way through. So hang on, we'll get to those things um, that really are the the connection points for our strategy, and these are these three things are what it means to be part of this family, how we align. Our strategy is designed so that it aligns us together behind our mission. So before we dive into all this, I'm going to read a passage uh, that's going to provide the framework, and then I'll pray, and we'll come back and talk more about this. Simply just three verses today, beginning in verse 23. Uh, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you, God, for what you uh, have done in us to bring us to salvation. Uh, God, the grace that you've poured over us. And yes, God, also uh, the, the opportunities you allow us to serve you. And so God, today, um, as I use... Uh, the gifts and the preparation that you've given me, God, I pray that uh, that you are honored, and God, that, uh, that that we make much of who you are, and we all walk away here today with a better understanding of your grace for us. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Now, I want to begin uh, with a confession that uh, may be shocking to some of you. Uh, my kids are sometimes bad, and I know, I know... Um, but Heath, you're a pastor, and you and Kelly are just perfect little parents. I, we are. It's just... Um, but sometimes, even in the midst of our perfection, um, they still uh, mess up. Um, they still... Sometimes things don't work out quite like we want. One day... Well, not this week, this past week. Um, I was needing to correct some behavior with, uh, uh, with my seven-year-old son, Daniel. And, uh, and so... I feel like even after seven years of being his dad and nine years being Elsie Joe's dad, I'm every day trying to figure out what it looks like to parent them because it seems like with every new season of life, the things that worked yesterday may not work today. And uh, so I'm con we're constantly in this thing of, man, how can we best shepherd their, their hearts and teach them and love them, but also provide the structure that they need so that they don't uh, go nuts. And so um, that's what we're doing. And so... Uh, Instead of getting on to him in front of Kelly and Elsie Joe, which is I needed to talk to him about something that's it's an ongoing issue for us. So I decided to talk to him privately about it. So I went to his room, I sat down on the bed, I took a deep breath, said a quick prayer, and I called for him. And I said, 
Hey, Daniel, come here for a second. Yes, sir. Those little feet, you know, pattering down the hallway. When he got to the door, he saw me sitting on his bed, and I could see it in his eyes. This is weird. But he came on over, and I said, hey, but sit down beside me, which he thought was weird. <laughs> okay. And he sat down beside me, and then I said, now, listen, buddy. And as soon as those words came out of my mouth, he started melting in the floor. You know why? Because he knew exactly where I was going next. Like he knew exactly what was about to come out of my mouth. He was a little bit weirded out on the front end, but he melted into the floor because he knew I was fixing to get on to him. And I can sympathize with him as someone who used to be a kid. And I know you probably thought I was a perfect kid, but that is not the case. Um, Parents always have particular things that they get hung up on, right? As parents, I do certain things that are just non-negotiable for me. Sometimes even they're silly. Things we shouldn't get hung up on, but we do. And we always have lectures with all those things, don't we? And as a kid, I can remember uh, being in my house and my mom, there was a tone that she would use that was just different when a lecture was coming. And I could sense it and I would go, and I would just melt in the floor, just like my son Daniel. So now we've reversed roles. Now I'm the one in the parent seat and he's the one that's melting into the floor. Um, So that's fun. But listen, these verses that I just read, If you've grown up in church, you've been around church, these verses have the same implication for you, right? When we start talking about not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, as soon as that came out of my mouth, some of y'all thought, and you thought, here comes a sermon, the preacher guilting us about not coming to church. And listen, like that's, I just want you to know. Um, for generations in the American church, these verses have been used to guilt and shame people for missing Sundays, Sunday nights, Wednesday nights, Friday morning Bible studies, Thursday night, whatever, like whatever was on the church schedule. These are the verses that people have used. Pastors have said, see there, the Bible says you have to come to church. It's a command. You're not going to be the ones that neglects coming to church, are you? Big question mark. Um, but here's what I want you to see this morning. That's not a completely, that's not the full picture of what's being said here. Um, There's so much more, I'll argue, beauty into what's being said here that when we take, when, when pastors manipulate this into guilt and shame messages, that they're missing it. And so today, I want to take, I want to take a passage of scripture that as soon as I read it, you may have wanted to melt on the floor, but I want to show you that there's beauty here that we need to see. And so before I even show you um, how these guilt-driving guilt pastors were wrong, I first have to acknowledge that they were kind of right about something. And so note-takers, you know I try to give you something. So i got three points today that are just going to provide a, a mile markers as we go through this. And this is number one. There is a command to gather. Or the author of Hebrews is speaking pretty plainly, whether it's in the Greek or the English translation that we have before us. It's a pretty clear command. Don't neglect to gather together. It's plain and clear. And he's saying that as believers, there must be a willingness to be gathered with other believers within a local church regular, regularly. Whew. It's going to be tough. Hey, how about this? Let's take a swig first. That, that, uh, tongue, um, And what's interesting, though, is even within the context, in the book of Acts, what we see is as the church is birthed, early Jesus followers were meeting in homes wherever they could so that the church could be together. They were bending over backwards to make the gathering possible. 
because there were no church buildings. They weren't gathering under steeples, sitting in rows of chairs with a bulletin in their hand, waiting on announcement time. They were together in homes. One church in Acts 12, we find out, was meeting at Mary's house. They were in prayer that day. Another met at Lydia's house, Acts 16. Another met at Priscilla and Aquila's house. We find that out in Romans 6, Romans 16. There's a, a, a church in, uh, a Colossian church that met in Nympha's house. I'm probably saying that wrong, but that's chapter 4 of Colossians. And there's a church that meets in Aphius' house in Philemon. And countless other groups of believers met in countless other places throughout the known world. And even without necessarily a specific place to go and official service times that were on their website, the author of Hebrews says, don't neglect that gathering. Now what's pretty cool about the language of the New Testament is that even the word church itself drives us to this idea of being together. The word for church in the New Testament is the word ekklesia in the Greek. And it simply means assembly of the summoned, which is very like Lord of the Rings sounding. But it's a, it's a group of called out ones. It's a group of people who have been called out. And this is what is going on. And though it's not mentioned in Hebrews 10, the word ecclesia is not used, it is certainly implied not to neglect the gathering of the ecclesia, the called out ones, those who've been called out by the name of Jesus to be together, be faithful to meet with them. Now, oftentimes we come to a text like this and we have to look at the context, we have to make sure that it still applies to us today. And to the best of my ability to study this week and really throughout my life and ministry, I, don't, I can't find anything that has changed theologically here that should alter this interpretation for us in 2023. I don't think. So just as the author wrote to the church 2,000 years ago, it could be said today, Lindsay Lane East, do not neglect the gathering of believers as some are already in the habit of doing. Now, that's about where I draw my line between the way it was preached when I was growing up and the, and the places I've heard it and the way that I believe the text is speaking today. So I don't want to go any further than right there because if the author had only said this statement, don't neglect to gather together as some in their habit of doing, if he had stopped there, then I could stand before you today and say, church, the Bible says you need to be here at our gatherings and if you're not, you're in sin. Period, let's go home. That's what I would say. But there is something more beautiful at work here. There's something more beautiful at work because of what he says next in the verse. Listen, not neglecting to gather, to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but what? Encouraging each other. You see, the author of Hebrews would actually lead me to say, not church, the Bible says you need to be here at our gatherings, and if you're not, you're in sin. The Bible actually leads me to say, the Bible says you need to be here at our gatherings, and if you are not, you are missing out on something really important for your life. Do you see the difference? That's a stark difference that I want you to understand. The biggest need that is met by you being a regular part of a church is not your church's need for you. It's not your pastor's need for you, and it's not God's need for you. The biggest need that is met by you being part of a church is your own need. So this is point number two, note takers. There's a benefit to you. You see, the text says, don't neglect the gathering. Instead, encourage each other. 
You see, there is something that is being offered at the gathering each week that is worth coming for. And when you miss it, you can tell it. Now, we are an imperfect church here. I, you know, I joked about being perfect parents, being all that. Like, that's a joke, okay? We're all sinners. Everybody, we won't let you on be a member unless you admit to be a, a sinner. Like, that's, you have to have sinned to be a member here, okay? <laughs> that's a rule. Um, and so that's what we do. Uh, but we are imperfect here, and we don't do everything right, but there still should be some sort of spiritual benefit to being here with us when we gather. There's a spiritual encouragement that you can receive here that is not available at the gathering of any other group for any other reason. I've got an awesome group of friends, and we like to play games. I have multiple groups of friends that like to play games. Maybe it's just us who like to play games. But anyway, we, we literally keep a tub in the back of our car that's full of games all the time. You invite us over, they're always out there. You may have thought we were going to watch TV, but we're going to play games, and I'm going to go get them. Um, but we love playing games, and as much as I love to get together with other people and play games, I, I love that, and it does do something for me to have friends that I can be with. But it does not accomplish for me what this accomplishes for me. And I love my family, and I love getting together. We're coming off the heels of Thanksgiving and Christmas. I love being with my family. They're nuts. Every side. Because they watch the live stream, so I'm awkwardly trying to remember. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> but we're nuts on all sides of my family. But here's what I know. I love getting together with my family, and it does something for me. But it does not do what this does for me, this family. Because there's a spiritual encouragement that comes. You see, this verse, though it's been used in the past to say these things, it is not saying these things. Be at church because God said so. Be at church or you're in sin. Be at church or the devil will get you. The verse says, be at church because you need it. Man, you need it. There is no guilt in that command. Do you see this? There, this is your best interest at heart. There's an actual real-life tangible benefit to you not neglecting the gathering. Now, before I got, uh, before I was a pastor here, I was an associate pastor that handled like small groups, discipleship, uh, all those kind of things. And then before that, I was spent eight and a half years as a youth pastor at a church in West Limestone. And uh, Kelly and I lived over there, and we had a great group of of students who were just honestly growing like crazy. This core group, and man, um, there's a lot of stories I could tell about where they are now and and the way that they're serving in their current churches now as as twenty somethings. It's so cool to see. But um, there were seasons from time to time where we would see kind of a, a new group of students come in. For whatever reason, God would just bless us with this, this new group uh, of folks to come in. And I remember one particular season that we had, some students had started getting connected, and, and it didn't take me long to realize, dude, there's some leaders in that bunch. Like as a pastor who's praying for leaders to come to your youth group, when they come, you go... Hey, hey, I'm Heath. What's your name? You're like, hey, hang around, stay. We need you here. Like this is this this is this is something good. But like, what I had to real what was going on is if I, I knew if I could get them to take one or two steps deeper in the faith, it would just be crazy and and not necessarily for my benefit, but for theirs. But most of these kids were 15, 16, 17 years old, and I don't know if you know what happens at 15. I don't. You know, for me that was almost 20 years ago now. And so for some of you, it was a lot longer. You're laughing at 20, okay? Um, but when you turn 15, 16, 17 years old, there's, some, there's this little bit of freedom 
There's this little thing that you get. I don't have my keys on me, but that key to a car. Whether it's your car, borrowed car, you stole it from a neighbor, but you have the ability to drive a car, and there's a freedom that comes with that. Now, what was happening um, in our in the, with these new kids that were coming in is that there was a shift in commitment that began to happen. And I feel like this was a season that we have not seen end. It was a season in our culture that was ramping up. And um, Because I'll be honest, when a 16-year-old kid can go get a license and make some extra cash to buy video games with, it's hard for me to compete with that. Can I be honest? It's hard for me to compete with that. And that's what was going on. But what, what teenagers don't realize is that oftentimes when they get that job, what began to happen was that the bosses started looking for who's going to work on Saturday and Sunday. Who do you think has to work on Saturday and Sunday? They got way down here on the pole. <laughs> the teenagers. And we had so many teenagers that got jobs. And, and man, it was almost like some bosses were just doubling down and making teens work on Sundays and Wednesdays. I know it wasn't their own doing, but it was like this attack that was going on in our youth group at the time. And maybe it's just my perception, but it seemed that way. There was also something else that was happening around this time in the dating world. We're talking about 12 to 14 years ago right now. And it was with the increased use of social media, there was a change happening in this dating world for 15, 16, 17-year-olds. And it's still continuing today. You see, it was at this point that, that having a boyfriend or a girlfriend was no longer just about hanging out and getting to know one another. Your relationship had to have a presence on social media too. Here's what I mean by that. If I wanted to surprise Kelly for Valentine's Day, I went and got flowers. I dropped them off at her house. I gave her a hug and I left. Now, the guy has to show up with eight dozen roses and a marching band and a professional photographer to record the whole thing. So that the wife can, the wife, the girlfriend, it's, that's the way they treat it. The girlfriend can post it on social media and brag on how sweet he is. Now, she's going to have to delete his post in a little bit because she's going to dump him. But for now, it's really important that that be on social media. And then there's birthdays and there's other holidays that follow. And what I was finding is that there was not only this increased commitment in the workplace for these teenagers, that there was an increased commitment in these relationships that weren't even probably going to last. And for us, during this time, sports was by far the greatest rise in commitment. It was around this time, 12 to 14 years ago, I feel like, that every sports coach in North Alabama decided we are now going to do stuff year-round. I feel like that happened 12 to 14 years ago. Like, I used to get time off from sports. That doesn't happen anymore. And so 12 to 14 years ago, every coach in North Alabama said, no, 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 we're not going to have an off-season anymore. No time to rest and recharge. We're going to work hard, as hard in the off-season as we did during the season. And even the ones who did have some free time usually filled it with other things, extracurriculars. And what I realized in that season of ministry is that everyone else around the church was asking for more and more of our students. They were being pulled in every direction to attend, to perform, to train. And I'm a math person because two plus two always equals four. And what I know is that there's only 24 hours in a day. And there's only a certain amount of time that our teenagers could give to the church and to their Lord. And what was happening was that the church and their time with God became the well that ran empty 
to fulfill all the other commitments. And I can remember asking a mentor of mine why that was. I said, man, I booked a conference six months out. I had kids sign up to go. Their coach books a tournament three weeks ago, and they cancel on me. Like in that moment, it hurt so bad. I felt like, I felt, I felt, it was, it was hurt, it was hurting. And I remember telling the mentor that, and he said, Heath, if they don't show up for work, their boss will fire them. If they don't do all the goofy things their girlfriend wants them to do, she'll dump them. If they miss the tournament, coach may bench them. But if they don't go to the conference, what are you going to do? It was in that moment that as a youth pastor who was trying to invest my life in these students, I realized the answer was nothing. I was going to keep loving them and ministering to them just like I did before. And I knew in that moment, I'm going to get bumped every time in the commitment world unless something changed. And so you see the coaches, the bosses, and the girlfriends all had one thing that I didn't, leverage. They all had leverage. And man, my mentor was right. I began to see it. I even asked some kids directly, hey man, why did you cancel on me? He was like, I ain't sitting on the bench. I worked hard to get a starting position. Good call. All right, I walked off. I knew then, like this is it. He's right. So I tried to think of solutions to the problem, but the only solution to be had was to figure out a way to develop leverage in our students' lives. And I tried it for a little bit, and it got icky. (laughs) It felt weird to me, right? This is the guilt show that some pastors try to use, turning the screws, twisting arms, trying to guilt people into attending more and more. And I no doubt tried it for a while, but I couldn't deal with it. I felt like it was manipulation. I, I decided to leave the leverage to the bosses, the girlfriends, the coaches, and all of that. And what I tried to do instead was to help our students see that there was something of value to them when we got together. That if they would come on Wednesday nights faithfully, that there was something of value. Something that mattered. Something that their girlfriend couldn't give them, that their boss couldn't give them, that their coaches couldn't give them. What the youth group was offering was of great spiritual significance in their lives. And church, I want you to know, again... The same is true of our church. There is something of great value here when you come. The church gathered together with regularity is a beautiful thing that you need as you are growing in Christ. You need this group of people or a group of people if it's not us. You need this gathering of believers who are called Lindsay Lane East. And I want to show you what that looks like for us here. When we talk about our strategy for accomplishing the mission We want to help people connect in three ways. We define those as gather, group, and move. We truly believe that if, if you will, as a believer in Jesus, engage in these three connections in a personal way, you will be growing in all of the areas that God desires you to grow. Here they are again. We want to help you gather, group, and we won't talk about the first two for just a second. The gathering for us is all about our worship services each Sunday and all the fellowship events that we do. 
There's a times when the whole church is gathered together. Patrick and the worship team do their best to engage you in a worship each week and help lead you to sing and glorify God through rich yet simple songs. And I do my best to come in and preach God's Word in such a way that you understand who God is more and can also make application to your life that week. And we also hope that there's fellowship taking place here, conversations, friendships, and high fives. And to those of you who came in late, a little bit later, and I was, I was for some reason in the, y'all know the hand hug, the high five hand hug? I did that to several of you, and I don't know why. Do y'all know about that? Like when you high five somebody and you kind of squeeze with your thumb, it makes a little hug. I did that to some of you, and I just apologize <laughs> up front. Um, I don't know why it happened. And so, um, it's just, I couldn't remember who it was, but, uh, I think Chesney was one. Um, anyway, I just wanted to apologize. Uh, but we want all of that, right? We hope that fellowship is taking place here. But we also want to help you group. We want to help you group because we truly believe that small groups are where the rubber meets the road for the believer. It's where you can be honest, open, and real with a group of people to ask questions as you study the Bible together to ask for prayer, to allow others to speak into your life. It's an incredible thing when you go from sitting in rows to sitting in circles. It's really something special. This is a shameless plug, but our groups start this week. And man, sign up today at Next Steps or at the QR code, all right? Commercial over. But I want to get on to move, but we've got to get to point three before we talk about the move, the third part, the third connection, because we've got to go back to the text for some clarity, because it said something here that we may have missed, or I know I've missed as I've studied this passage over the years. Um, and again, remember that I'm more of a math person. My wife's more of the word person. So I'm going to use a word, and I think it is spelled properly, and I'm going to try to pronounce it properly. I'm just going to think of a better word to put, okay? So number three, there is a reciprocity. All right, yes. Ah, mm, okay. Sip your coffee as you say that word. Um, but listen, here's what I know. Here's what I know, what I've experienced, and what I've, what I've thought in my own heart. This is going to resonate with some of you, and just hang on to the end. Some people have in their minds about church an analogy of a car. Analogy of a car. Each week, I come to church to fill my tank up for the week. I listen to the sermon. I sing the songs. Maybe I go to a small group. And all that helps me get through the week. And then I come back again on next Sunday and I get filled back up. This is a pretty accurate analogy to, to a lot of the people that I talk to about church. But the problem with that analogy is that even in the physical world, most of us don't fill up our tank with regularity. So let's talk physical world for just a moment. Show of hands. How many of you let it get all the way to the E? Some of y'all, you know what I'm talking about? Like, hey, I'm the one that rides it all the way to the E. I'm going to coast in on fumes. That's some of you. Now, how many of you are the ones that never let it get below like a half a tank? Raise your hands. And some of you are married... Some of you are like sitting beside your spouse and you raised your hand at different times, uh, which is always fun. Uh, so I grew, up in a, I grew up in a house that was divided in this way. Uh, it was a divided home. It was difficult because uh, I knew um, if I wanted to borrow my mom's car, I was going to need to put gas in it before, uh, before I went anywhere because there was a good chance it was on empty. Um, and then, uh, but if I drove my dad's car, 
I knew that sucker was going to be about three quarters full because it never, I never saw it um, until he let me drive it for a little season when I was without a vehicle and I rode that sucker to E all the time. And it was like I didn't know what to do, you know. Um, but, but that's the, so, so that's a problem, right? This, this is, this is what we do in a, this is what we do in the physical world. And you see, spiritually, we're the same way. Because when we view our church services only as the time that we come to fill our tank up, then the enemy doesn't want you to trash your car. He doesn't even, he isn't trying to convince you to quit uh, coming to church altogether. The enemy simply wants to first convince you that you were okay this week. To convince you that, hey man, there's still some in the tank. You're good. Go on and make plans this weekend. Go on and go on and just sleep in. Go on and do this. Go on and do that. Right? Like that's what the enemy wants to do. If a church is just the gas station, then you may be all right. There's going to be some seasons in my life where I can drive for several weeks, maybe even a month on a tank of gas, maybe more. But you see, one of the greatest needs that church meets in your life is not just being an encouragement to you, but giving you a direct opportunity to be an encouragement to other people. It's in the text. I didn't make it up. Hebrews 10, 25, don't, not neglecting to gather together some in their habit of doing, but encouraging each other. Those two little words are so important. Encouraging each other. So the question is, what is the benefit of not neglecting the gathering? Is it for my own encouragement or is it me encouraging others? Always Mark C. All of the above. Both and. You see, not neglecting to gather together is not about attending church, coming in each week, sitting in a seat, taking in the music, taking in the sermon, and going home. It's about participating in the work of God. It's about speaking words of encouragement to one another. It's about serving others. This is literally why God gives spiritual gifts to to Christians. Paul writes in his letter to Corinth, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, a manifestation, that means a, a, a real representation, a real peace of God, uh, the full spirit of God is given to each person for what does it say? Your own good? The good of your mama? The good of your kids? No. A manifestation of the spirit is given to each person for the common good. You see, God saved me at a young age and gifted me with gifts that were not for my own benefit, but so that I could serve others. So yes, you need to be here when we gather, not just because you need to be filled up, but because you need to pour out. You need to help others fill up. Our spiritual growth is not as much dependent on what we know and what we learn. Our spiritual growth that's occurring in my life and in yours is actually very dependent on the way we live out our faith and how we serve that's oftentimes the way that God grows us. Therefore, to neglect the gathering of believers, as mentioned in Hebrews 10, is to neglect your own spiritual growth. You are hurting yourself by neglecting. You see, church is your pastor. I don't want to take this text and say, see, you're supposed to be here, and if you're not, you're in sin. Instead, I simply want to remind you that to neglect this gathering is to... Is to is to miss out on something that you really need. Now, here's what I know. I'm just going to address an elephant in the room. When you go missing for a while and we run into each other at Walmart, okay, I know what you do. Everybody I run into, 
if you've been out for a while for whatever reason, you immediately start apologizing as if I'm mad at you. Pastor, I'm so sorry. We, we've been, we've had this. And like, listen, I want you to know this is your pastor. And I, I, like, I wish you could see into my heart and know I'm telling you the truth. I'm not mad. <laughs> I don't get hurt by that. It's not a personal thing for me. When you go missing, my heart just hurts for you. If you've ever gotten a card from me or our staff that says we miss you at church, we're not writing that down going, <laughs> this will guilt them. <laughs> Wait till this shows up in the mailbox. You know, some of y'all have gotten those cards. Listen, when we write we missed you, you know what we mean? We missed you. Like, we love you. That's it. Don't take, don't take it any further. I promise there is no ill will in our sending those cards. And we know how important, what well, well, reason we're doing that is we missed you and we know how important it is for you to be here and use your gifts and encourage one another and be part of what's going on here. And when you're not here, you're missing out on all that, that spiritual blessing of encouragement. And this is why the last connection point that we talk about, when we talk about our strategy, what is it like for you to take part with us? Is It's the word move. We believe every believer in Jesus around the world needs to be engaged in moving with God's Spirit in His work through a local church. This involves serving inside the church and outside the church. And here at East, we have ministry teams that you can join, and they're crucial to what we do here at East. I told you guys last week, every cup of coffee you hold took six people to pull off. Six people before you ever get a cup of coffee. Because we have people who are serving, doing different things. We have these ministry teams that are crucial. We have ministry teams that do things outside the walls of the church. One of those that has just kind of been bolstered and raised up a little bit is our House of Harvest ministry. We've partnered with the House of Harvest, which is like a, a food bank uh, ministry here, ministry center in our community. We've partnered with them for a long time, but now we've actually taken on another part. And now the first Wednesday and Saturday of every month, we've got ministry teams that are serving boots on the ground at House of Harvest to make sure that our community knows that even if they don't have food, that God loves them. So we also have ways for you to sign up for those. They can take care of it at next steps. You can always scan that little fancy QR code and click on I want to serve. We'll get back with you as soon as we can or talk to one of us as a staff. Because well, here's what we do. We truly believe that if you will engage in all three of those connections, with a willingness to encourage others as much as you desire to be encouraged yourself, God will grow you tremendously through the ministries of this church. If you're new to East, test us on it. If you're new to East, just test it and see if God doesn't bless it. And see if God, if if you're here and, and man, it's your first time, or maybe you've been with us a while and you just haven't been, haven't got in the groove of being faithful to Sunday morning service, that gather peace, just do it. And see if God doesn't pour out special spiritual blessing on you of encouragement. If you're if you're coming faithful, but you're like, hey man, I, I need I need relationships. I need to be a, a part of something. Sign up for a group. Test it. See, try give it give it four weeks and see if God doesn't use it. Move. Maybe 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 you want to start serving here. You know, we actually have ways that even if you're not a member of East, you can serve. 
Most churches don't trust you with that. But we do. Because we're crazy. And we love you. And we want, to, we want, you, to, we want you to be able to, to test the waters here before you commit to, to joining us. Gather, group, and move. What might be your next step today? Let me speak to those of you who are official members of this church family. This is, I need you to know that this is what it means to be in this family. To partner with us together for the glory of God and the good of man, you gather, you group, and you move. And, and some of you guys have been members longer than I have. I've only been here three years. <laughs> but right now, Kenny's walking at least two families through East 101, and he's telling them, when you join up with our family to be a member here, this is what we ask of you, is to gather, to group, and to move. Not for our benefit, but for yours. Because we're a family here, and we want to be together for the glory of God and the good of man. And some of you... It's been a long time since East 101. And I know what's happened is the other commitments in your life have just been draining the, the well. I get it. I see it in my own life at times. The boss, relationships in your life, sports. I get it. And all I'm asking you today is to revisit something in your life that will make room for this spiritual encouragement that you need so much. All the other commitments, I'm sure, seem really important right now. They seem pressing. They seem unavoidable. But I can promise you the commitment to help us accomplish our mission here has spiritual implications and weight that none of those other things can touch. So please make time to connect with God and His church in these ways. So here's how I want to end this message. I have no idea at what level God may be speaking to you or don't know how God may have moved in your heart, what He may be asking you to do. But here's what I do know. It starts with one step. We say here almost every week, what is your next step? What is the one way this week that you can begin not neglecting the gathering? Is it simply by committing in this new year, 2023, to first be faithful to the Sunday gathering? Is it to join a small group? It's never been easier, literally three days from now. Or is it to begin serving on one of our teams? Whatever step you need to take, you can do that during this last song. I, no, most pastors are not going to tell you what I'm about to tell you. If you need to join a group or you want to start serving in this church, get your phone out while we're singing this invitation song. I'm assuming you're not on email, Okay. Or checking your Facebook status, all right? Feed, whatever. I assume that. So that, that what better way to respond to what God is speaking you to do than to do that during this song? I'll also be at the back. If you don't know how to spell QR code, I can help you with that. All right, go out the next steps. There will be folks out there on your way out today to help you sign up for a group or be a part of a team. But I always hang out back at the back uh, just to answer any questions you have about who we are, what we do, and, uh, and ans answer any questions that this message may have brought up. But listen, <laughs> we're about to celebrate a baptism in just a minute. Um, we're going to celebrate a baptism right back here behind me. And uh, 
It's a young boy. There's a point in his life where he recognized that he was separated from God because of his sin. And he's seven years old. He hadn't done drugs, never been drunk, never done anything creepy illegal. But he's a sinner and he's separated from God. But he trusted in the Lord and the the, the blood that Jesus shed. And even though his sin seems this big in most of our eyes, the blood of Jesus is ever more greater than whatever sin Satan tempts him with in the future. And his blood has been covered. And today, I know we were talking a lot about church stuff. This is our DNA series that we do at the beginning of the year. But it's 2023. It's a new year. What better way to begin this new year than to ask yourself hard spiritual questions? Am I following Jesus? Have I ever came to a point where I recognized I was a sinner and in need of a Savior? I'm going to be back at the back to help you answer those questions. Don't think, well, somebody else will be talking to him. He'll be busy. Come talk to me. If you need to talk about that, you want to talk about baptism, whatever you want to talk about, I'm going to be back there through this whole next song. I love you. Let's worship together. Let's respond during this last song together. After I pray, you guys stand. Father God, we thank you for the way that you have poured out your grace on this church. God, to think that that Lindsay Lane came in here, God, uh, over eight years ago now. God, to uh, to a church that was was dying. Six or eight people left in the church, God, unable to pay bills. And here we sit, this many years later. God, what a gracious and good God you are. And I pray, God, that Lindsay Lane East would continue to be what our community needs, a beacon of hope in the dark world that we live. God, help us in that. Lead us, guide us towards the mission of together, the glory of God and the good of man. God, be glorified during this time of response. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, I'll stand and